Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Tonight on The Readout. Our job is to legislate, not to continue to investigate something in the back when you cannot find any reason to impeach this president. I am directing our House committee to open a formal impeachment inquiry into President Joe Biden. She cannot change the laws of this Congress. She cannot unilaterally decide we're in an impeachment inquiry. I do not make this decision lightly. (laughs) That was Kevin McCarthy in 2019 explaining how an impeachment cannot be started unilaterally, which is precisely what he just did as Republicans try to gaslight Americans into thinking Joe Biden is just like Donald Trump. Also tonight, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis makes her case for why Donald Trump and his 18 criminal co-defendants should be tried together while Trump tries to sever his case and delay, delay, delay his trial. Plus, in football, they use a lot of war terminology, like blitzing the quarterback and throwing the bomb. So Coach Tommy Tuberville must be confused, thinking he knows a thing or two about war. But he never served and is now single-handedly causing a crisis within the U.S. military. But we begin tonight with a line that every American should memorize. It was first uttered by Donald Trump during the lead-up to January 6th. And it goes like this. Just say there is corruption and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. And that, as it turns out, is what House Speaker Kevin McCarthy and his caucus of MAGA misfit toys have been trying to do with President Biden. Even though Trump's own Department of Justice couldn't find any corruption, Senators Ron Johnson and Chuck Grassley led investigative committees that found nothing and cleared Joe Biden. And so did the chairman of the House Oversight Committee, James Comer. Yep, you heard that right. But like I said, facts be damned. Just say there's corruption and leave the rest to me and the Republican congressman. And to that point, this was Kevin McCarthy this morning. So you have all these questions. And to be able to get the answers to those questions, you're going to have to subpoena certain documents. Now, we all know that Mr. McCarthy isn't the whiz. The woman behind the curtain pulling the strings is named Marjorie Taylor Greene. The Georgia congresswoman who has demanded Biden's impeachment for for fill in the blanks, whatever, since before he even took office. And Trump's Mike Kevin has now given her what she and the twice impeached four times indicted former president both demanded. According to The New York Times, Green and the civilly liable for sexual abuse former president seemingly knew this was coming and discussed over fish and diet coke the House plan to impeach President Biden. Apparently, she told The Times that she told Trump she wants to make impeachment long and excruciatingly painful for Joe Biden. Because that's the point, isn't it? To punish Biden for Trump's dual impeachments, to even the score, and make Trump look less bad for having tried to extort Ukraine and then trying to overturn an election with an armed coup. To say nothing of the four indictments. Did I mention the four indictments? Yes, I think I mentioned the four indictments. Then there is serial liar and fraudster Congressman George Santos, or is it Anthony DeValder Santos or Kitara Rivash? 
the New York Times, the New York congressman who is currently indicted by the Department of Justice for fraud, money laundering, theft of public funds and false statements, went on CNN to talk about Biden. Joe Biden has a Trevor Trove, starting with his son, Hunter Biden, cocaine in the White House, laptops from hell, all these things. And none of this is spoken about on your network. Okay, okay, this guy, this guy is Republicans character witness for their impeachment inquiry. Really? Then there is Judiciary Committee Chairman Jim Jordan. He has spent years barking sound bites for Fox about accountability and justice. The same Jim Jordan, who has been accused by multiple former Ohio State University wrestlers of ignoring credible claims of sexual abuse by the team's physician. He denies the allegations, of course. Then there is Mr. Impeachment himself, Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer. And we all know his face because he's been all over Fox and CNN, utterly failing to support his corruption claims. What you probably didn't know is that this guy has his own past questionable behavior. In a recent profile, the New York Times reported that during a failed 2015 campaign, he was accused by a former girlfriend of hitting her and taking her to a clinic for an abortion, an account that was supported by her roommate at the time. He denied it. It doesn't stop there. In an effort to stop the reporting on those allegations, Comer allegedly distributed unlawfully obtained emails between a reporter and a source, a fact he admitted to the New York Times. Now, I'm not sure how legal that is, but maybe he would like to take up an impeachment inquiry to find more facts. Folks, this is the Delta Force of justice in the House of Representatives. Most of them are millionaires, some real and some made up. And while these members chase down, chase, uh, these members chase Trump down the QAnon rabbit hole, they are turning their backs on years of actual corruption involving a president and a family member whose name is not Hunter Biden. I rise today to urge House Republicans to investigate one of the modern American scandals and political cons. Now, why did the Saudi government give Jared Kushner $2 billion just months after he left the Trump White House? Kushner, who oversaw Middle East policy for his father-in-law, has enriched himself and his family in what is clearly an enormous grift and likely serious conflict of interest crimes. The American people deserve answers, and I urge my colleagues across the aisle to answer all our calls and subpoena Jared Kushner's company once and for all. So here's the thing. Comer abandoned an investigation opened by Democrats into Trump improperly profiting off the presidency. He also killed a separate inquiry into the business dealings of Jared Kushner with the Saudis because they don't they don't care about actual corruption. They only care about hurting Joe Biden politically ahead of the next election, because as Simon Rosenberg pointed out on this program last night, they clearly don't think that they can beat him without making him as dirty as Trump. But here's the problem. They're not starting from scratch with some unknown politician. They're starting with Joe Biden. You know, Joey from Scranton who likes ice cream Corvettes, Ray-Bans and his family. Biden has been around for decades. His brand ain't new. And that's precisely why Barack Obama picked him as his vice president. He's the 29-year-old who was sworn in as a senator in a hospital next to his two young sons after their mother and sister were killed in a tragic car accident. A major, major news story at the time. He's the guy who chaired the Senate Judiciary Committee confirmation hearing of Clarence Thomas. That's in the 90s, by the way. He's the guy who pressured Republicans back in 1993 to help pass an assault weapons ban. 
He's the guy who, back in 2007, destroyed Rudy Giuliani's presidential ambitions by saying, quote, there's only three things Rudy mentions in a sentence, a noun, a verb, and 9-11. He's the guy who helped President Obama pass one of the most important piece of healthcare legislation in American history, and then whispered goofily into an open microphone, this is a BFD, but he didn't use the initials. Joe Biden has lived practically his entire adult life in the public eye. This impeachment inquiry is Republicans trying to rewrite history because they don't like the current reality. They're trying to gaslight you into believing a guy who was once mocked for being one of the poorest guys in the Senate, hatched some sort of nefarious decades-long campaign to fatten the Biden family coffers without a single journalist noticing. I mean, how could we have missed it? What they are trying to do... <laughs> with a not too small amount of help from Fox and some members of the mainstream media too, who ran this same playbook with Hillary Clinton and her emails, is to get you to somehow forget who Joe Biden is and replace that reality in your minds with the MAGA fan fiction that he is a master criminal, just like Donald Trump, minus the gold toilet. Joining me now is Democratic Congressman Robert Garcia of California, a member of the House Oversight Committee, and Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and former House Oversight Committee, House Oversight Committee spokesman back when he was a Republican. I want to go to the congressman first, because I don't know how old you are. I'm not going to presume, but I know you're one of the younger members of the House. And so I would wager to say Joe Biden has been a public figure for your entire life. And yet we're supposed to believe that this same guy has been running a apparent criminal enterprise for decades. Has anyone on the other side of the aisle admitted to you that they know that that is pure BS and that they're just doing this to try to beat him in the next election? Yes, absolutely. We have, um, as a freshman member, there are freshman Republicans who are out there who know this whole thing is BS and it's all politics. I mean, the truth is that this is completely about trying to elect Donald Trump as president. And the reason that folks like Marjorie Taylor Greene and George Santos are out front is because Kevin McCarthy has completely lost control of his entire caucus. And so now what we have is essentially a political campaign by Donald Trump being waged through the most MAGA extremists in the House to try to damage President Biden, who, by the way, has done absolutely nothing wrong. We know that there is zero evidence, zero evidence of the president doing actually anything illegal or close to improper uh, here as in his administration. And so this attack that's currently happening uh, is, is shameful. Uh, it, it's quite frankly, to most of us, is a complete joke. We, of course, stand behind President Biden and everything, Joy, you said in your opener is absolutely correct. This is now a Republican Party that is run by Donald Trump and Marjorie Taylor Greene. And you know how we know, Kurt, that it's BS is because the Republicans told us I don't have to go to a Democrat. You're a Democrat now. I have to ask you. Because I can actually ask the committee you used to be staffed for, the Committee on Oversight and Accountability, mm -hmm. the majority, majority members, I'm going to hold this up so downtown Sterling Brown, our ed director, can show <laughs> it, okay? This is a report written by the Republicans, by James Comer's committee, by uh, the, the, the Oversight Committee, sorry. And the Oversight Committee found absolutely nothing. They went through all of these pages. It's a multi-page report, right? Mm -hmm. And they didn't find anything on Biden. So they've gone back. But I want you to just explain to our viewers who don't understand what the Oversight Committee does. Do they have 
full subpoena power and ability to investigate if there is wrongdoing. Can they do it? Yes, they can. I mean, that's why this committee exists in the first place, Joy. There's a reason why this committee uniquely doesn't have a whole lot of legislative and policy jurisdiction, because that's not their job. Their job isn't to make laws. Their job is to conduct oversight. And they are given very, very broad powers in order to conduct those investigations. They have unilateral subpoena authority. They have deposition authority. They can call hearings. They can do whatever they want. And so when they put out reports like this, with all the footnotes and all the pages that they have, they've had every tool you can imagine to compile these kinds of reports. And if they don't have the goods in this report, mm-hmm. if they don't have the goods on Biden right now, nothing else this impeachment inquiry is going to is going to be conducted, is going to find anything that they couldn't. And yet he uh, and I'm going to go back to you, Congressman, for a moment. The, the, Kevin McCarthy tweeted the Speaker of the House, uh, ostensive. Uh, say the American people deserve to know that public offices are not for sale and the federal government is not being used to cover up the actions of politically connected family. You gave a speech that I actually posted on my Instagram because it was so good. I posted a bunch of it in which you did talk about what sure did sound like the government being used to cover up the actions of a politically connected family. It just happens to be it's the Trump family. Talk a little bit about what you would like to see, because Congress does have to investigate corruption, whether it's a Democrat or Republican. That is your your part of your job. What corruption do you think should be investigated that is not? Look, there is no bigger corruption or scandal in modern American politics than what the Kushners have done with the Trump crime family while he was in the White House. Jared Kushner and Ivanka received $2 billion with a B mere months, two to three months after leaving the White House from the Saudi government. We know that Jared was in the White House. He was the lead person on the Middle East. He got rid of the first secretary of state. He he was the one that facilitated a massive trades deal, of course, we know, with Saudi Arabia. Has no real experience, yet receives $2 billion two months after he leaves the Trump White House. Now that needs to be investigated. The Republicans are completely hypocritical, trying to link the president, trying to link the president's family, uh, where, of course, we know that they didn't work in the White House. They had no connection to to anything to do with uh, government policy. Yet here we have Jared Kushner and the Kushners that are profiting in the billions of dollars. That is a scandal we should be looking at. That right now is a huge grift, and we deserve, the American people deserve an investigation, and we should be slamming the Republicans every single day on this issue. How has Mr. Comer and other uh, people, committee leaders, responded to your request to have an investigation? On that. Well, look, I mean, obviously the House uh, Democrats on the committee um, are united and, and, and our leader, uh, Jamie Raskin, of course, is, is there. But uh, James Comer just turns the other way. He's a complete hypocrite. He talks about trying to do oversight to save the American people resources. Yet here we have the biggest grift in modern American politics where Jared Kushner is essentially using his office, clearly has committed, in my opinion, massive crimes, yet is not being investigated. And so we are demanding and we're going to demand every single day that Jared Kushner and the Kushners be investigated for their time in the White House. What were their connections to Donald Trump? And what is is Jared Kushner actually doing to receive $2 billion? And what did he do? Or what, uh, unfortunately, secrets did he sell uh, to actually get this kind of access? 
Let me, uh, because I, and I'd like to know the answer to that, too, given the, all that Saudi Arabia is taking ownership of in the United States and what they're digging and getting involved into and the fact that an, Amer- uh, an American resident journalist was killed, but perhaps uh, at their behest. Um, let me play what Matt Gates, uh, one of Kevin McCarthy's other bosses, just said uh, on uh, our colleague Ari Melber's show about a little while ago. Kevin McCarthy is going to advance an impeach, an actual impeachment on Joe Biden, a lot like he was going to advance an impeachment of Ali Mayorkas. Remember back in January of this year, he kept saying we were going to impeach Mayorkas and the people that were blocking his speakership were blocking the impeachment of Mayorkas. Well, once Kevin got power, all of that just went by the wayside. And I think you're witnessing the same gaslighting and the same illusion and the same mirage right here. He doesn't really mean it. He knows he broke the deal in January. He knows there are enough of us in the Republican conference who want to hold him to that deal. And so he's he's throwing impeachment out like an ill cast lure. And he has no real intent to follow through. You know, hide your teenage daughters. Uh, let, let, let's um, <laughs> that that's it, though, isn't it? This was a deal that Kevin McCarthy made with people like that guy, who he promised he would impeach a bunch of people, including Joe Biden and Secretary Mayorkas. That's all this is. He cut a deal to get the speakership. A deal which, by the way, they all denied existed up until the other day. Uh, Just want to point that out. Uh, And just goes to show again, this is insane. We have right now the entire House of Representatives being held hostage by the insurrection law firm of, you know, Comer, Jordan, Gates, Green, and Santos. That's how far gone this Republican Party is right now, that the weakest speaker in American history can't do anything, can't move any legislation, can't get anything done. He just has to give in every single day to these lunatics. And, 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 and let me just be very clear here. This is a massive political gift for Joe Biden, for all the conversation happening right now about his age, his fitness. And by the way, how can you not be fit to hold office but mastermind a criminal, not sure. you know, m- multinational, global, multi-million dollar criminal front? I don't he's know how magical. you can do all that. But, like, Apparently that's, he's that's an amazing skill set that yeah. he has there if he can pull that off. But it's like they are taking away the, the best week that they have had in terms of the Biden narrative. And now they've hijacked it with this impeachment nonsense. And that is a preview of what you're going to see in 2024. You're yeah. not going to see Republicans talking about the economy and if Inflation. They're going to relitigate or abortion, the last election. Or abortion. They're going to relitigate the last <laughs> election, and they're going to be talking about impeaching Joe Biden and all these uh, dis- delusional grievances that they have. The last word I'm going to just, just for, for our viewers, just so you understand, the reason that we do not take this Biden impeachment BS seriously is, number one, Joe Biden's a known entity. But here's the history of Joe Biden's money. As recently as November 2009, Joe Biden's net worth was less than $30,000 as of the time that uh, he and Barack Obama took office. When Biden released his financial disclosures in July of 2019, they showed that he and his wife Jill had earned more than $15 million in 2017 and 2018. You know where the bulk of that money came from? A freaking book deal. Yeah, when you're vice president of the United States to the two-term first black president, you get a book deal, like a big one. That's where his money comes from, y'all. If you believe any of the rest of this, y'all ain't wide awake. Thank you, Congressman Robert Garcia. Let's just be smart. Use our brain. We have them. Uh, And our friend Kurt Bardella, thank you both. Up next on The Readout, use your brains. Uh, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is arguing that all 19 defendants, including Trump, should be tried together. But Trump's doing everything he can to block that from happening. Readout, change after this. 
Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. With the internet's best converting checkout, 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms, Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers. In fact, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash podcast free. All lowercase, shopify.com slash podcast free, shopify.com slash podcast free. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. When it comes to the many, 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 many criminal trials ahead for Donald Trump, nearly as important as the evidence presented in each case is when those trials will take place, especially as we get closer to the presidential election, where Trump will likely be the Republican nominee. And in the Georgia election interference trial, another challenging factor is that Trump is one of 19 co-defendants. Two of those defendants, uh, Kenneth Cheeseborough and Sidney Powell, have already been granted their speedy trial requests, set to begin October 23rd. In a new filing, Fulton County DA Fonnie Willis is defending her stance that all 19 co-defendants, including Trump, should be tried together. In a seven-page filing, Willis warns that failing to do so would create a logistical quagmire, not only for courthouse staff, but also for witnesses and jurors. Willis argues that because the defendants face RICO charges, any trials would share the same evidence and witnesses, giving later defendants an unfair advantage of seeing the state's case beforehand. She also argues that having separate trials would create an enormous strain on the county's judicial resources, as well as creating unavoidable burdens on witnesses and victims who would be forced to testify multiple times, facing the same sets of questions each time. During a hearing last week, Judge Scott McAfee appeared highly skeptical of Willis's request. And to make it clear, the twice impeached, four times indicted former president wants no part in this. Trump's lawyers filed court documents waiving his right to a speedy trial in exchange for severing his case from those of any co-defendants demanding a fast court date. Joining me now is Melissa Murray, NYU law professor, MSNBC legal analyst and co-host of the Strict Scrutiny podcast and also glasses diva extraordinaire. I always love your glasses look. Um, So let's talk about this just for a moment because there are, I'm just going to put it up on the screen. You've got a number of defendants in the Fulton case that are waiving their right to a speedy trial. You can see them there. Mostly the people that you know, Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, uh, Harrison Floyd, who you remember is the uh, uh, blacks for Trump guy, uh, Jenna Ellis, et cetera. If, if they prevail and say, we don't want a speedy trial, but Chesborough or Chesborough, however you pronounce his name, gets his speedy trial. 
How logistically would that work? Because that would mean that the later people would basically, with the rest of us, get to watch the trial on TV and know what all the evidence is. I, I don't see how a judge goes along with that. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And you laid it out really well in the opening, Joy. Um, there are obviously some sort of game theories here for those who are sequenced later for later trials. You have evidence that's going to be common to these 19 defendants. The, the defendants who go first and have their trials first will have that ventilated in public view in court, and it will give the later defendants an opportunity to figure out how to rebut that, what strategies to use, how to impeach particular witnesses, and on and on and on. So they will have an advantage. And indeed, it is not surprising that defendant Trump, who perhaps has the most to lose in all of this, has decided to waive his right to a speedy trial in order to sever himself from these other defendants, have a separate trial hopefully one that is further in time from these other defendants and perhaps reap the benefits of them going first and him being able to sit back and take notes. And, and I mean, is there a sense in which the people who go first then don't get a fair trial? Because essentially they don't have the benefit of seeing the trial beforehand and Trump, et cetera, would. I mean, this is all of the things that Judge McAvee is going to have to consider. I mean, he's considered has a lot of different interests to weigh right now. It's true that a 19 defendant trial is going to be incredibly unwieldy in some respects, but there are also incredible economies of scale to be leveraged from having the same set of witnesses and the same kind of evidence presented on mass at once, as opposed to seriatim in multiple cases. And again, there's also the fairness questions that you've raised. And for DA Willis, it's a real issue here because part of the strategy of prosecuting this under Georgia's RICO statute is that it allows her to tell a narrative in which all of these defendants are woven together in a broader criminal conspiracy. That becomes much harder to do as each one peels off. Yeah. Let's go to the non-speedy trial. Uh, Judge Cannon seems like she wants to keep the trial real slow. It took her a long time to come back and come with this protective order that seemed fairly obvious. And we're talking about 3,500 pages of classified documents. You know, it seemed like a no-brainer uh, that she would say that that should be under a protective order. She also wrote this in her uh, her order. She said, any classified documents the defense discusses with the defendant in any way shall be handled in accordance with this order, including such requirements as confining discussions, documents, and materials to an accredited SCIF, which makes sense. But it, then she adds, or other location authorized by the chief information security officer. Trump wanted to be able to read the documents at Mar-a-Lago. That's the scene of the crime. If he gets to take the documents and, and he and his lawyers get to review them there, why wouldn't he just put them back in the bathroom? It doesn't. Why do you? Can you make sense of her being like an other? Uh, is the other authorization Mar-a-Lago? That doesn't make sense. Well, this is exactly the point that the prosecution made in its opposition to this motion. Like, you know, this is essentially a crime scene that he's now asking to be resuscitated as a skiff. Like, the whole question here was that. Defendant Trump said he was essentially operating in a skiff at Mar-a-Lago. The government says that was not the case. This was not a secure location. And these documents were simply strewn about his beach house. And now he's asking to review these documents in advance of trial at said beach house. And to be fair to Judge Cannon, like there's a lot of different issues here. She is apparently moved with all deliberate speed here, um, being as meticulous as possible, it would seem. That's a generous way of looking at it. But she's basically sidestepped the question of whether Trump will have a skiff in his home or any of his homes as he's requested. She's left this to the classified information security officer that's been appointed here in neutral party to decide where these secure locations will be cited. And that 
that that person will basically make a decision about when the Trump team will have access to that material and when they'll be able to review it. But she did also put in place what the prosecution wanted was real limits on Donald Trump's ability to talk about whatever he saw when he was reviewing it and thereafter. Yeah. When the skiff is the bathroom. Uh how weird uh, this world is. Uh, Melissa Murray, thank you very much. Always appreciate you. Uh, coming up, uh, mediocre former football coach Tommy Tuberville, who has never actually served in the military, continues to grandstand and block military promotions. It's having a real impact on our country's military readiness, it turns out. And even most of his Republican colleagues in the Senate are no longer on board. So why is he still allowed to do it? We'll discuss with actual veteran Paul Rykoff when we come back. Hey everyone, it's Katie Fang. Did you know my weekly show on MSNBC is now available as a podcast? With my decades of experience as a trial lawyer, you'll get an insider's perspective on all things legal. At a time when politics and the law are inextricably intertwined, my guests and I break down what's next and why it matters, both inside and outside the courtroom. Search for The Katie Fang Show wherever you're listening and follow. Stay up to date on the biggest issues of the day with the MSNBC Daily Newsletter. Each morning, you'll get analysis by experts you trust, video highlights from your favorite shows. 2024 is now truly the most important election in the history of our country. Previews of our podcasts and documentaries, plus written perspectives from the newsmakers themselves, all sent directly to your inbox each morning. Get the best of MSNBC all in one place. Sign up for MSNBC Daily at MSNBC.com. For more than six months, Alabama senator and apparent Florida resident Tommy Tuberville has put our national security at risk by using a senatorial hold, which allows a single senator to block hundreds of military confirmations and promotions from advancing through the Senate. He's doing it to protest a Pentagon policy that ensures that service members in states where abortion is illegal can afford to travel out of state for the procedure and for other reproductive health care. Now, to be clear, the Pentagon does not pay for service members' abortions. They're simply reimbursing the travel expenses that these red states have imposed on women and girls by leaving them no option but to leave their state to get care. Tuberville showboating has left three of our military branches without confirmed chiefs for the first time in Defense Department history. And by the end of the month, the highest ranking position in the U.S. military could also be vacant. As the confirmation of General Charles Brown, who President Biden nominated in May to replace Joint Chiefs of Staff Chair General Mark Milley, hangs in the balance. Of course, Tuberville could end this blockade literally at any time. He is the only one that can do it, but he won't. Instead, he's blaming the Democrats. There is nothing disrespectful about a confirmation vote. If we do not vote on General Brown's nomination, then that is entirely, entirely the fault of the Democratic majority that runs this floor. Yeah, except here's the thing. It's not. And there's nothing General Milley can even do about it. Legally, he cannot stay in his position past October 1st, even if there's nobody appointed to, nobody approved to replace him. Something Tuberville, who let's just say is not a leading intellectual light of his party, apparently didn't even know. Have you had any more conversations with DOD or 
White House or anything? No. Do you expect to speak to them before Millie's retirement date hits? When is that? End of the month? Yeah, October yeah. 1st. I'll call Millie and wish him good luck, but I don't I don't know whether he'll go anywhere until until they get somebody confirmed. He's but statutorily he has to leave on He has to leave? Yeah. He's out. We'll get somebody else to do the job. Uh, but uh, I'm hopefully it's done by then. No, you can't. Joining me now is Paul Rykoff, founder of the Iraq and Afghanistan Veterans of America and host of the Independent Americans podcast. Um, Paul, you and I have talked about this offline, so I'm just going to give you the opportunity to respond to the fact that Tommy Tuberville doesn't even know the rules regarding the fact that General Milley cannot be replaced and cannot stay. Joy, to quote another Alabama football person, stupid is as stupid does. And Tommy Tuberville is stupid. I mean, John Stewart's called him. We can all see it. But it's even worse than that. He's reckless. He's irresponsible. He's radical. What he's doing is really a radical political positioning that we've never seen before. He's the equivalent of a political suicide bomber. He's going in and blowing up everything in support of his quest, his personal uh, quest. That is a very radical political quest and grandstanding, trying to make himself this new second coming of the far right within the GOP, which is a very narrow group that I think we need to start to call the Confederate wing of the GOP, because this is the same guy who welcomed white nationalists into the military. He continues to be out of touch with reality. He's, he's opposed by seven former secretaries of defense and people on all sides of every political aisle. So he's very much in an isolated place. And no doubt he is damaging our military. Hundreds of, of, of flag grade officers are paralyzed. Their families can't move. And our enemies are celebrating. Putin loves this. North Korea loves this. Anyone who wants to do harm to America can only wish for something like this to happen. And I think we got to get to the point now, Joy, where it's about action. A lot of Democrats and Republicans have been talking a great game. But what are they doing about it? They need to call for him to resign. And I think it's important to note, not a single Republican or Democrat has called on him to resign. And he keeps ratcheting up the stakes. The damage keeps getting more vast. People need to start getting more serious. You're absolutely right. I mean, I'm going to really quickly play a representative named Michael McCall, because you're an independent. um, And, you know, but I want to just play a Republican. One of those Republicans you're talking about that's been uh, going at him. Take a listen. This is paralyzing the Department of Defense. You know, the idea that one man in the Senate can hold this up for months. I understand maybe promotions, but nominations is paralyzing the Department of Defense. I think that is a a national security problem and a national security issue. Now, he can't do anything about it. He's in the House. But just CNN reported that if they were to process each individual person who is due for a promotion individually, it would take the Senate approximately 689 hours and 20 minutes of floor consideration, plus two days of session at the start of the process for cloture um, for all 273 nominations. This represents approximately 30 days and 17 hours to process all of the people who deserve promotions. So that is the, the amount of time it would take to do it if they did it one at a time. But I would like for you to talk about what individual service members, because people are just going to leave, right? Because what are, how is this impacting individual men and women in the military? 
profoundly. Over 90% of commands are now impacted because people are on hold. They don't know what country they're going to live in. They don't know where their families are going to live. You know, three, you noted three uh, senior positions in the Pentagon are right now open. So that means people have to do two, two jobs. And at the end of the month, we won't have a confirmed chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff. That is a very big deal. Tommy Tuberville, you know, claims to know a lot about football fields. He knows nothing about battlefields. He's opposed to everybody who's ever worn the uniform with any kind of stature or standing. And he also apparently doesn't understand how the Senate works. This can all go away if he backs down. But he's actually loving this. He loves the attention. He loves the support from Trump and other people that are in the more radical wing of the GOP. And he's acting like he's the second coming of Robert E. Lee. I mean, what he's trying to do here is not just undermine our military. He's trying to drag us back to another time. He doesn't understand the military of 2023. He sounds like he's trying to make the military of 1853. He sounds like he's trying to create the Confederate army rather than the American army of 2023. That's why this is much bigger than just being about our military. It's about his radical political agenda that he's trying to jam down our Pentagon. Mitch McConnell has, you know, expressed some discomfort with this and, and unhappiness with it. What do you make of the fact that he hasn't actually done anything? Because he seems to be the one person who might have the power and authority to stop Tuberville, but he doesn't seem to be willing to do it. It's cowardice. And it's undermining our military, our national security every single day. You mentioned I'm an independent. You know, 49 percent of the country is independent. This is the kind of stuff that drives people out of the Republican Party, especially veterans, especially people in the active duty, especially people who care about national security. This is bad for their politics. And I think it's starting to, to, to ratchet up against them. The question is, can the Democrats respond? Can they actually hold him accountable? Can they actually drive him out? Because if you're holding your breath for the Republicans to do it, it's not going to happen. In the meantime, our troops are caught in the crisis. And I hope that it doesn't drive people out of the military because there's already a recruitment problem and it can only get worse from here. Uh, I have been obsessed with getting you on to talk about this because this story drives me absolutely mad. I have to have you come back on as we continue to follow this story. Paul Rykoff, thank you, man. Appreciate you. Appreciate you. All right. Thank you. When we return, nearly a year and a half after the devastating school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, family members of the children who lost their lives gathered today at the nation's capital, reminding lawmakers of the consequences of their lack of action. Two of those family members join me next. It is back to school season, meeting, meaning packed lunches, sharpened pencils, and only in America, the lasting fear over whether your child will survive a school shooting. Today, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill went into lockdown after an armed and dangerous person was reported on or near campus. On Tuesday, a student was shot dead at a high school in Louisiana. And in Maryland, a student was shot dead Monday near her high school, just two weeks into the school year. And that's just this week, showing how nothing has changed since Uvalde, Texas, joined America's long list of horrific school shootings last year, when a gunman entered Robb Elementary School and killed 21 people, including 19 children. Today in Washington, D.C., families and supporters honored the 170 victims of gun violence at K-12 schools since Columbine in 1999, laying out a child's parachute on the on the lawn of the Washington Monument for each of the victims and calling roll for each and every person marked absent. The event back to school roll call is the first event of lives robbed 
a group formed by the families of the children murdered at Robb Elementary. And joining me now is Kimberly Mata Rubio, the mother of Uvalde victim Lexi Rubio and the president of Lives Robbed, and Berlinda Ariola, the grandmother of an Uvalde victim and Lives Robbed secretary. And I'd like to note that two other moms who lost their children, as well as a dad, uh, in Uvalde are also in the studio to support Kimberly and Berlinda. They are Gloria Casares, mother of Jackie Casares, and Veronica Mata, mother of Tess Mata. Thank you all for being here and your beautiful children. I will give you my personal condolences in person. This is the first time we're getting to meet um, face to face. So I'm going to start with you, my dear. And let's let's talk about um, why you did what you did today. I think it's obvious, I think, to a lot of people. But what did you hope to accomplish? I just sent a message. I wanted people to take a look at the sheer amount of children that have died from senseless gun violence. Why we haven't done anything. I want our lawmakers to see what they've done. Yeah. And Berlina, what is um, what is the action that you expected to happen after Uvalde? What did you think would happen? I thought for sure there was going to be a change. We all thought that our loved ones were going to be important enough to make that change. Um, we, after Sandy Hook and um, Santa Fe and Southern Springs and so many prior, we just thought that we would be that one. And we immediately took charge and began coming to Washington. Within a month's time, we started fighting for the children. And unfortunately, we haven't gotten anywhere yet. Yeah. I mean, the one change that has happened in the state of Texas, where you both um, live, uh, is that now there's a requirement that every school has to have an armed, armed security guard. But to me, that seems... You know, there were 317 police that responded to Uvalde, and they did nothing. So do you feel safer? Do you think that kids are safer with one armed security guard in every school? Absolutely not. Guns have no place in a school. The obvious solution is a complete ban on assault weapons. And instead, we decide, hey, it's this. Let's try this. And that's this. We're, we're just making our schools look like prisons. For what reason? Yeah. And I mean, the, the thing is, is that the, the public overwhelmingly supports the idea of gun, of gun reform, of common sense gun reform, not anything crazy, not confiscation or anything like that, but just the idea of background checks, the idea of not having assault weapons being legal and on the streets. And it, it's just hard for me to put my wrap my mind around the idea that people think people need assault weapons to just walk around. You were saying to me, Berlinda, before um, we started that, you know, you it's you walk around now as a different human being, you know, having lost a family member, it happened to you. And it changes the way you live your life. You're afraid to go places that you would normally go. Yes, correct. It's and anywhere you go, um, it's anywhere a new foundation or wherever it goes. You you look for your exits, and you know you go to a parade, and you're looking on on the rooftops and seeing if there's anybody there. You know you you walk into a grocery store, and you're looking around, just making sure that somebody doesn't look suspicious or doesn't have you know a, a big long coat and what's underneath there. You know, it's just it changes your whole way of thinking and it makes you more aware yeah. of your surroundings. I mean, Kimberly, I was telling you, you know, I was just overseas. Never thought about it. Away for 10 days in two different countries, one in Europe, one in on the African continent. It never crossed my mind that I was not safe and that there would be guns somewhere and that I would be shot. It, and yet children can't feel that way when they go to school. And this is back to school. It's a unique American problem. And, you know, we talk about other locations. Schools are especially concerning because it's the one place where there are more children than there are adults. If I'm in a grocery store, I have the chance, the opportunity to maybe be with my child. In school, I left my child in the hands of someone else. 
Yeah. And, and the thing is, is that it's not only, I mean, because look, my, my, my kids are part of the run, hide, fight generation. They've been doing drills um, for school shootings since they were in the third grade. They're now in their 20s. It, it, do you ever get the sense that the U.S. doesn't love children enough to change this? What's interesting is the majority of Americans do support common sense gun reform. That message isn't being it's lost on our lawmakers, and it's unfortunate. But we need to be voting them out. We need to make them understand that they work for us. Yeah. And if this is what we want, this is what we demand. It, it is not lost on me that uh, you lovely ladies are Latina. Texas is a majority minority state at this point between African-Americans, Asian-Americans, and the Latino community. But the Latino community is very young. Yes. And votes at very low rates. And so when, and also there's voter suppression like crazy in your state. How do we get from people supporting gun reform to people voting for gun reform? We have to go out and speak out. We, yes, this is exactly why we, we do what we do. We are trying to reach the constituents because they are the ones that we need to reach because obviously we're not reaching our lawmakers. So in order to make that difference, we need to reach out and get them to understand and maybe talking to them more one on one as much as we can and and helping them to understand the importance of voting. Yeah, because if you continue to think that your voice doesn't matter, one person thinks that another person thinks that it, it does add up after yeah. a while. Absolutely. And everybody shouldn't have that kind of mentality. They should they should feel important enough to, that their vote does matter. There is no, there's no more powerful voice than a grandma and a mom. I still can't believe you're a grandma. You look fabulous. Um, and a mom. And I know a lot of us have gotten to know you, um, in particular over the time, over time and, and your husband and, and seeing your beautiful baby. Um, so I just want to thank you all for coming down and sharing some time with me. You are so brilliant and brave. So I think thank you so much. Um, for us. Kimberly Mata Rubio and Berlinda Ariola. Thank you both. We'll be right back. Tonight on the Readout blog, read Jahan Jones's take on how Trump has fanned the flames of post-9-11 terrorism. Jahan also reports on Gavin Newsom addressing mysterious plans for a new city in California. And stay tuned for Jahan's dispatch from New York Fashion Week, where hip-hop icons walk the runway in Harlem. And that is tonight's Readout. When news breaks, go beyond the headlines with the new MSNBC app. New developments in the legal drama surrounding former President Donald Trump. Get real-time analysis from live blogs to in-depth essays, video highlights from your favorite shows and hosts. Lots of news of all kinds going on right now. And the latest updates on the 2024 election. The rematch is on. It's Trump-Biden part two. Go beyond the what to understand the why. Download the app now at msnbc.com slash app.